know you want to see me well, so I'll put that thing down. Names are important. One of the first things we want to know about people when we uh, meet them, what's your name? Somebody meets us, we want to, uh, they usually want to ask us what our name is. Sometimes we don't even wait to be asked. Sometimes we just introduce ourselves and tell them our name. Family names are important. A lot of times if we uh, uh, tell somebody what our name is, they'll say, oh, are you related to so-and-so by the same name, similar name? Uh, Studying the names of God and the names of the Lord Jesus can be a fascinating and an enlightening study from Scripture. It's also a good way to get to know our God and get to know our Savior better. In preparation for Christmas, I'd like for us to take the next several weeks to consider names associated with Jesus in the Bible. And we'll begin this morning looking at some of his family names. I would encourage you to take your Bibles, turn with me to Matthew chapter 1, and in Matthew 1, we find the family name of Jesus, names associated with him, uh, his ancestors, those through whom he descended as he made his entrance into this world. In verses 1 through 17, we have the genealogy of the Lord Jesus. He's introduced in verse 1, it says, the book of the genealogy, or the the record of the ancestry of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. And then it gets into the genealogy. Abraham begot Isaac, Isaac begot Jacob, and Jacob begot Judah and his brothers. And we go on down through the genealogy of the Lord Jesus Christ. Genealogies don't usually make for real exciting reading. In fact, I heard of one fellow that was a chaplain and uh, in the army, and he used to pass out a lot of New Testaments to people. And he said he was kind of disappointed because sometimes he'd give New Testaments to people, and they'd start reading, open up Matthew, start out in chapter 1, go through that list of names, close the book, kind of give up from there. Why did God begin the New Testament with a genealogy? Why does he begin Matthew with the, the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ with a, a genealogy? Well, the, the genealogies were of, of great importance to the Jews. Uh, They needed to know what family they had come from and that they descended to. If you weren't from the tribe of Levi and a descendant of Aaron, you couldn't be a priest. And you had to be able to prove your your lineage. You had to be able to prove what family you were from. So So genealogies were very important to the Jews. And, And Matthew's writing primarily for the Jewish people as he writes this gospel. And, and so he begins... With a genealogy. Who is this guy? You go over to Mark, there's no genealogy. Mark wrote primarily for the, the Romans and for Gentiles, and it didn't matter to them where, what somebody's family was, or where they were from, just, hey, who, who are they? What do they do? What have they, what have they accomplished? But if to the Jews, to, to Matthew writes, it, it's important. Uh, the family background of the Lord Jesus. And uh, we find in the first 17 verses of of this list of all these names that are hard to pronounce and, and uh, that, that we find the, the human aspect to the origins of the Lord Jesus Christ. And 
Yeah, it's not real exciting reading. It's hard reading as you try to pronounce those names. In fact, I'm not going to read all the way through here this morning. And have you bear with me in having my pronunciation of all these different, all these different names. I don't think there'd be a whole lot of profit to that. But the genealogy is part of Scripture, inspired by the Holy Spirit of God, and it is an important portion of Scripture. Uh, we move on down to verse 18, and we see the, uh, the, the divine aspect to who Jesus is and where he came from. And we'll, we'll touch on both of those a little bit this morning. But today we want to look at five facts that are established by this genealogy of the Lord Jesus. And we find out, first of all, that uh, it establishes his humanity and his historical roots. It, it establishes the, his relationship to Abraham and to David, which was of vital importance for Jesus to be the Messiah and for him to be the king who would rule on David's throne. We, we find in, in the geology God's real concern that he has for all kinds of people. We see also the real need for a Savior as we look at the genealogy, which basically is a list of sinners. There's a need for a Savior, and we also see God's supernatural provision of a Savior. First of all, the, uh, the real humanity and historical roots of Jesus are established by this particular genealogy. And in his humanity, Jesus the God-man is a fully historical man with a real flesh and blood family. Jesus is not a legend. Jesus is not a myth. He is a real person. The Gospel of Matthew doesn't begin with a once upon a time in a faraway land long, long ago. It begins with, with who this man is, where he came from, what his roots are. He's a real flesh and blood man. And what we have here is the genealogy of Joseph, who was the legal but not the biological father of Jesus who was descended from David through his son Solomon. If you look at verse 6, it says, Jesse begat the David, the, the king, and David the king begat Solomon by her and who, by the, the wife of Uriah, and then Solomon begot Rehoboam. So we find that, that Joseph was the son of David, or a descendant of David, through David's son Solomon. And then you have the rest of the line follow along after that. If you compare the genealogy here with another genealogy we have over in Luke chapter 3. You don't need to turn there. You find another genealogy over there, and in Luke what we have is the genealogy of Mary, who also descended from David. If you remember, why'd they go to Bethlehem? They lived in Nazareth. They went to Bethlehem because there had been a decree passed by Caesar to enroll people for taxation purposes. They all had to go back to their where their family origins were. And for both Joseph and Mary, their family origins were in the city of David, which was Bethlehem. That's why they went to Bethlehem. Both of them had to go there. And Mary descended from David through David's son, Nathan. You can find that in Luke 3, verse 31. And you also find that in Matthew's genealogy, it goes back to Abraham. And in Luke's genealogy, it goes back clear to Adam. So we find both the genealogies are important, and they emphasize the fact 
Jesus is not just a mythological or a legendary figure. He, he is a real, he has a physical time and space existence. And in, in fact, here in, in Matthew chapter 1, you find that the genealogy is divided up into three groups of 14, uh, not exhaustive. There were some names that were left out of there, but it was uh, divided up into those three groups of 14 for memorization purposes, for memory purpose, an aid to memory. How would you like to have to memorize all of this? But, but many of the Jews would do that. And it was broken up into these 14 different sections, 14, uh, three sections of 14, to help people in remembering that, to help remember what Jesus' roots, historical roots, were really were. We find that uh, those are the genealogies that the ancestry of Joseph through uh, Solomon, uh, given in Matthew, the ancestry of Mary, uh, was descended from David through Nathan, given in the book of Luke. We find also that the genealogy of, that we read here establishes the relationship of Jesus to David and Abraham. Starts right out in the very first verse, the uh, genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David and the son of Abraham. Why is this so important? It's important for a number of reasons. It's important because, first of all, it fulfills Old Testament prophecies about the line of the coming Messiah. Uh, one of the most exciting studies you can do is a study of predictive prophecy in the Old Testament and see how much of it was fulfilled in the New. You go back to the Old Testament, you find that the, the line for, for the Messiah coming keeps getting narrowed down. First of all, it tells us in Genesis 3, verse 15, that the Messiah was going to be the seed of the woman. In fact, that may well be a reference to the virgin birth. Later on, we find that Abraham's introduced to the picture and, and that the Messiah was going to be his descendant. And then we find that he was going to come through Isaac, and then it, it comes on down to, to, through Jacob and not Esau, and it comes on down that he's going to come through, through Judah, the son of, of Jacob, not any of the other sons. And eventually... He's going to come through Abraham, through, through David, King David, and will even reign on the throne of David. And we go over to the book of Micah, and we find out we're told he's going to be born in Bethlehem of Judea. So you, you go back and read all those Old Testament prophecies. Well, it's important then, if that's prophesied, did it happen? Well, we read in, Genesis, in Matthew 1 here, yeah, it did happen. This miraculous child that was born. That first Christmas was a descendant of David. He was a descendant of Abraham. He was a descendant of Judah. He was born in Bethlehem. All those Old Testament prophecies were fulfilled literally and perfectly. We find it's also important that it be established that he is a descendant of David because uh, David was the one who was told, promised, that one of his descendants would rule on the throne of Israel perpetually. One of his descendants would rule over Israel and eventually rule over the earth continually. And if Jesus is going to sit on the throne of David and rule over Israel and rule over the earth, it's got to be able to be proven that he really was a descendant of David. And, and it's proven here in Matthew and in Luke. And any of this could have been questioned. It could have been checked out. There were written records at the time that could have been looked at. And we find that it, it comes through perfectly. And so we find that Jesus received the legal 
but not the biological right to rule on David's throne through Joseph. He could not get the biological right to rule on the throne through Joseph. Why? Because he wasn't Joseph's biological son. Joseph was the legal father, the recognized father, but not the biological father of the Lord Jesus. Jesus was virgin born. Joseph wasn't the biological father. And there's also another reason that the biological right to rule on David's throne could not come through Joseph, and uh, we will touch on that again in in just a a little bit. We also find, uh, as we look at the genealogy, it establishes for us the real concern that God has for all kinds of people. Does God care about you? Does God care about people like you? People like me? Is he interested in us? Well, yeah, he, he, he does. And we see this even represented in the genealogy. One of the amazing things in this genealogy is it includes five women. That wasn't done in, gene, in Jewish genealogy. In fact, you go back and, and, and read the genealogies in the Old Testament. You don't find women listed there. If you would go back and read Jewish records of genealogy, you wouldn't find women listed there. But what happens here? There's five women included in this genealogy. Why is that? Uh, well, we find that there's Tamar, who is a Canaanite. We find there's Rahab, who is also a Canaanite, not even Jewish women. Ruth, who was a Moabitess. Uh, we find Bathsheba, who's called here the wife of Uriah. And then the Virgin Mary herself shows up in the genealogy. If you read through there, you find each of these women there. But uh, why include these women? Well, first of all, because it shows the value God places on women as well as men. And that, you know, men don't always value women the way that God does. In fact, it's kind of interesting over, I think it's in Saudi Arabia right now, you have women that are, are protesting over the fact that they don't have the right to drive. And, and because they're women. That's the only reason they can't drive. They're women. But some of these ladies are, are doing some civil disobedience there and actually getting behind the wheel of the car and they're driving. But you had this in, in different cultures. You, you had it in Jewish culture you know, where, where women had a secondary position in Jewish culture. You certainly have it under Islam today. Why, any woman who would want to ever convert to Islam is far beyond me. That's crazy. The position they give to women is, is so low. But in God's eyes, what do we read in Scripture? We read that God created man in his own image, in his own likeness. Male and female, he created them. Women created in the likeness and the image of God just as much as men. We also find that this shows Jesus was coming to redeem women as well as men. A special points made of including these women in the genealogy. It shows that, that Jesus would, would break down the barrier between women and men. And that doesn't mean women and men were going to become exactly the same, but, but certainly many of the barriers would be, would be broken down. We find that, uh, that they're seen in, in the inclusion in the uh, genealogy of Jesus, not only the fact that we have these five women, but we also find Gentiles included. We pointed out a minute ago, Rahab, and Tamar were both Gentiles. And, and Ruth was a Gentile. And that's significant. We, we find that, that Jesus is also breaking down the barrier between Jews 
and Gentiles. He came to be not just a Messiah for Israel, not just a Savior for the Jewish people, but he came to deliver all people from their sin. He came to break down the barrier between Jew and Gentile. One of the other things that stands out as we uh, think about these women, a number of these women were, were noted for a questionable character. Uh, Tamar, at one point, uh, dressed herself up like a prostitute and, and seduced her, her father-in-law to get a, a child fathered by him. Rahab, of course, what was her profession? Well, when the Jewish uh, spies came to stay with she she's Rahab the harlot. But she put her faith in, in the Lord and trusted him, and, and God saved her. But we find that, that we do find sinners included in the genealogy, and, and Jesus came down to came here to break the barrier between sinners and God. And, I, and I'm thankful for that. I don't know about you, but I'm thankful for that. I'm glad there doesn't have to be a barrier continuing to exist between me and God. And that's where we find that it stands out in this genealogy that there's a real need for a Savior. In fact, you know what this genealogy is? It is a list of sinners. You know, everybody on it is a sinner. Any genealogy is a list of sinners. Now, the Jews, they made a, a big deal out of their genealogy as Jews, and they were proud of it. Read the Apostle Paul talking about uh, his Jewish heritage, and, and he was proud of the fact that he was he had a Jewish mother and a Jewish father, and he was in the tribe of Benjamin, and he knew all that kind of stuff. But really, you look at this list, it's not really a list to be all that proud of. It's all sinners. And we, we find there's different kinds of sinners. There are some respected sinners. Abraham was certainly lifted up by the Jewish people, and still is today, right? In fact, Jewish people describe themselves as sons and daughters of, of Abraham, and and Isaac was lifted up, and, and, and Jacob, uh, the patriarchs, uh, the fathers, and they, they, they were respected. David, of course, boy, lifted up as Israel's greatest king. Uh, Solomon, God used him to build the temple. Man, what a temple he built. There was nothing, probably nothing ever constructed quite as great as his temple, perhaps even to this day. But what's true of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, David, and Solomon? They were all what? They were all sinners. We have infamous sinners. Well, we mentioned Jacob as being a respected sinner, but on the other hand, his very name means he's a, he's a, he's a deceiver. That's what his name meant. That's what he was. Uh, Judah, uh, the, the uh, son of, of Jacob through whom Jesus is descended, through whom David came, through whom the, the, uh, rule, the rule of Israel comes, was uh, a wicked man. Very wicked man. We find that he's involved in an immoral relationship with, with, with his daughter-in-law, Tamar. He was, he was the one that when the brothers had taken Joseph and they threw him in the pit and some wanted to, some wanted to kill him, most of them wanted to kill him, Judah speaks up and, and not out of compassion, but he, he says, if we kill him, we don't get anything out of it. So he had a great idea. Let's sell him. Let's sell him into slavery. Anybody felt like doing that with your little brother at any time? Well, Joe, Judah actually did that. Let's sell him. Get some, a wonderful, wonderful man, right? Great guy. Uh, we, we think about Rahab, noted as a harlot. David, we think about him as being the great king of Israel. Well, what else do you think of as soon as you think about David? You think about his sin with Bathsheba, don't you? 
We think about not only being an adulterer in his relationship with Bathsheba, but he also has her husband murdered. That's David. That's uh, infamous. Solomon built the temple. But we think about him, as the, the boy in Sunday school said, he had 300 wives and 900 porcupines. And, uh, and he married, married all these foreign women, 300 wives, 900 concubines, and he, he brought their false gods into Israel and even had temples built for some of the gods that they worshipped. A lot of sad things about the life of Solomon. We think about sinners where that their actions really had terrible consequences. Rehoboam was the son of Solomon. And uh, Solomon had, had taxed the people heavily and had even used some, some forced labor in getting the temple built. And, and when, when he died, the elders came to, to Rehoboam and said, hey, you need to lighten up the taxes. You need to loosen the restrictions on the people at this point. They, they can't handle it anymore. Ray Bohm went and listened to some of his younger counselors who said, show them who's boss. And so he showed them who's boss. He said, if you thought my father was bad, you just wait and see what I'm going to do. You think the burden of taxation is heavy under him, wait until you see what I do. And you know what happened? The nation divided. Ten of the tribes to the north seceded and became their own nation. And, and he's left ruling over just Judah and, and Benjamin as far as the tribe that, that he had control over. What a sad thing. Lots of consequences. Israel continued to be divided until the northern kingdom was carried away and then eventually the southern kingdom was carried away. We have another guy called Jeconiah, also known as, as Coniah or Jehoiakim. And in, he was such a wicked king that in Jeremiah 22, there's a curse pronounced upon him a descendant of David, the, the royal lines coming through him, but there was a curse pronounced upon him because of his wickedness that said that not any of his descendants would ever sit on the throne of Israel. None of his, none of his seed, none of his descendants would rule over Israel. And that curse continued. And guess who was one of his descendants? Joseph. So the biological right to rule couldn't come through Joseph at all, because he was a descendant of Jeconiah. So this continues to be consequences from his sinfulness. You know, we, we, why do we have sinners in the genealogy of Jesus? Why such, why such notably wicked people in his genealogy? Why would God put his son into such a, a family line as that? Well, fact of the matter, that's the only kind of people who are available. You know, they're included to show the love God has for sinners. What's the Bible say? All have sinned. I'm short of the glory of God. We all need a Savior. And good news. God wants to save sinners. Christ came to die for sinners. Uh, John 3.16 says, God so loved the world, that's the world of sinners, that he did what? He gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in him will not perish, but have everlasting life. Romans chapter 5, we're told that, that God loved us enough that, that Christ died for the ungodly. He died for us while we were yet sinners. Christ said that he didn't come to be served, but he came to serve 
and give his life a ransom for many. Jesus said he came to seek and to save that which was lost. Lost sinners. God loves sinners. He wants to redeem sinners. That's what the coming of Jesus is all about. Over in 1 Timothy, it tells us that that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom Paul said he was chief. God wants to save sinners. That's why you have sinners in the genealogy of Jesus. And we find that, that God supernaturally provides a Savior for sinners, including the ones in that list, including you and me. And he does it supernaturally. If you drop down to verse 16 in Matthew chapter 1, told you we weren't going to read the whole genealogy here, but man, we've got to look at verse 16 and 17. It says, And Jacob begot Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom was born Jesus, who is called Christ. It says there, of whom is born Jesus. Who's the of whom referred to? Well, we can't tell that in English real clearly. But I'm kind of glad the New Testament was given to us in Greek. Because if you look at it in Greek, you find out that the whom there is a feminine. Who's the feminine here? It's Mary. So who was Jesus born to? He was born to Mary, but not Joseph. Well, how could that be? How could that happen? How could... How could he be born to her without being born to him? She was a virgin. And we go on, we pick it up in verse 18. It says, now the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. After his mother Mary was betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, before they had sex, she was found with child of the Holy Spirit. Then Joseph, her husband, being a just man and not wanting to make her a public example, was minded to put her away secretly. He's going to break the engagement. Why? Because his fiancée's pregnant, and he knows it's not his. So what's he thinking? Man, she's been fooling around on me. She's been cheating on me. Now, she's pregnant. That It had to happen in this way. But then God steps into the picture. In verse 20, we find that God sends an angel to talk to Joseph. So while he thought about these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take to you Mary, your wife, for that which is conceived in her is what? It's of the Holy Spirit. And she'll bring forth a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sin. And now all this was done that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by the Lord through the prophets, saying, Behold, the virgin shall be with child, and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which is translated God with us. Then Joseph, being aroused from sleep, did as the angel of the Lord commanded him, and took to him his wife, and did not know her, did not have sexual relations with her, until she had brought forth her firstborn son, and he called his name. What do we learn from that? We learn that Jesus really was virgin born. And Jesus avoided being tainted by sin through the virgin birth. He also avoids the, the curse that was on the line, of Joseph, the, the line of Joseph. 
So Joseph couldn't be the biological father. The biological right through comes to Jesus through Mary for him to rule on David's throne. And the legal right comes through Joseph, but not the biological right. Mary was the biological mother of Jesus in every way, fully his mother. The pregnancy was normal except for the way that it began. The delivery would have been normal except for the, the way that things got started with the conception. Jesus was born of a virgin, laid out very clearly in Scripture. A miracle of God took place. God supernaturally provided a Savior for you and for me. We can thank God for that. Now, we also read in this passage, God even picks out his name. Now, sometimes it's a lot, you know, it's a lot of fun picking out names for babies, but sometimes it can kind of be kind of a controversial thing. Uh, it can be, a, you know, after you've had a few kids and you've used up, you know, your names you've thought about all your life, okay, what are we going to name this kid? Our fourth child almost didn't have a name when he came home from the hospital. We picked it out before they, they release it. They come around that last, okay, what's the name that's going to go on there? We named him Nathan, gift from God. And so he's born. But uh, in Mary's case, she didn't have to decide. Joseph didn't have to decide because why? God said, name him Jesus, which means the Lord saves. Why name him Jesus? Because he, he'll save his people from his sins. That's what he came for. And this all happened in fulfillment to prophecy. It had been prophesied 700 years earlier through Isaiah that a virgin would conceive a child and give birth to a child. That, that's a, a miracle of God. Something supernatural that happened. And, and we're told that when that child comes along, they'll call him Emmanuel because of who he is. Who is Jesus? He's God with us. He was God with Mary, God with Joseph, God with the disciples, God with the shepherd, God with the, the, the wise men. When, when they looked in the face of that baby, they were seeing God himself. He grew up to be the God-man, fully God, fully man. So what application do we make from this? First of all, we realize Jesus became fully man, fully man. That's what the genealogy is all about. He fully, became fully man to redeem us, men and women, boys and girls, people. Jesus didn't become an angel to redeem angels. He is our kinsman redeemer. He became a man so he could redeem us. Jesus is the Savior promised throughout the Old Testament. He fulfilled prophecies of Messiah's line of descent. We see that spelled out for us here in the genealogy. Jesus came to redeem all kinds of people, people like David, People like Tamar, people like Rahab, people like you, people like me. Yeah, we find that if, if, if our genealogies were looked at, uh, our genealogies, my genealogy would just be a list of sinners. And that includes me. I don't know if we have any horse thieves in there or anything like that, but it would be a list of sinners. Your genealogy would just be a list of sinners. No matter if you've got royalty in there or presidents in there, you know what it is? It's a list of sinners. Jesus came to save sinners. We're all sinners in need of a Savior. And we find that God, thankfully, supernaturally provided that Savior. I'm here to tell you this morning, there is 
no other. Think about what God did. Think about who Jesus is. He's God who became man, fully God, fully man, for the purpose of going to the cross and paying the penalty for our sin. That's God's provision for our sin so that we can be forgiven. God didn't make any other provision. Only one. If you don't know Jesus, you're still in your sin. If you don't know Christ, you're headed for a crisis eternity. I would plead with you this morning. If you've never trusted Christ as your Savior, do it today. He's the only Savior that there can be. There's not going to be another. You need to trust Him. And if you know Him, if you know Him, man, shouldn't we be grateful? Shouldn't we rejoice? Shouldn't we be celebrating this time of the year? It's Christmas. Uh, And we celebrate the fact that that God became man in order to redeem us. And one more thing. Shouldn't we tell people about it? Shouldn't we tell people what Christmas is all about? The world's doing all they can to get Christ out of Christmas. I've got a channel on my radio that I listen to sometimes, 104 something or other, and that's all Christmas music now. You know what? It's uh, chestnuts roasting on an open fire, and it's I'll Be Home for Christmas, and it's all this sentimental stuff, pretty songs, but you know what? I was just thinking this morning, you know what? I've been listening to that, that station for a couple of days now. I haven't heard one song that focuses on Jesus. They're missing it completely. The world's doing all they can to get Jesus out of Christmas and make it happy holiday. I think we as Christians need to make a concerted effort to not just wish people Merry Christmas, but let them know, you know, why why should it be merry? You know, if you're a sinner still lost and on your way to hell, you don't really have reason to celebrate. But man, if you're a sinner saved by grace and you're redeemed and you're headed for heaven when you leave this world and you have God as your heavenly Father and have a relationship with Him, that's something to celebrate. Mistletoe, Christmas trees, chestnuts roasting. That's not really a whole lot of super reason to celebrate. But forgiveness, reconciliation to God, eternal life, that's reason to celebrate. That's reason to have something to share with other people as well. Father, we thank you for for Jesus. Thank you for what that very name means. Thank you for telling us about the family that he came through into this world. Thank you also for telling us in Scripture that the baby conceived in that womb was conceived through a miracle of the Holy Spirit. Lord, thank you for doing all that for us. I pray if there's anybody with us this morning that's not sure that Christ is their Savior, I pray they put their trust in him today, repent of their sin, trust in Christ alone for Savior. May they talk to you right now, tell you what's on their heart. May they talk to one of us that we can help them. Lord, we pray also for us as Christians. Help us to celebrate. Help us to appreciate what's been done for us in the incarnation and provision for our sin. And Lord, help us to share that message with other people. Help us to make a concerted effort, Lord, to keep Christ in Christmas and to use opportunities this time of the year to share the gospel with people and give you the praise and the glory for it in Jesus' name.
take your hymnals again, please.